Isn't that worship just great tonight? And uh, that was my wife at the end just bringing the presence of God, and it's so good. Um, she just carries a, such a peaceful presence of God, uh, which is, this is where, I, where I, our house just feels that way, just full of God's presence and God's peace. And so I almost like fell asleep there. I was like, oh, sleepy now. <laughs> she has a way of just bringing rest and, into the room. She carries such rest and peace. In fact, if you want to carry that rest and peace, I have some of her, her projects back there. Um, that can help you if you there's part of the stuff that we have left over is uh, her worship stuff I'll tell you about that in a second, but uh, I just want to thank you for that introduction It was much better than last time actually the beginning of it I was wondering if it was going to be better uh, But then it got really good at the end. So so thanks a lot um, We've just had such a great uh, time here in South Africa this time and I really feel like the Lord wants to make a deposit with us tonight um, I, I really feel like um, that God has called this this region, this church particularly, but this region really to be uh, a real prophetic powerhouse for this nation. And I feel like the Lord just wants to make a deposit with that tonight. And I, I want to talk about, and I haven't really talked about um, prophecy specifically in, in our messages. They've, I think they've been uh, what the Lord wanted to say, and I think that they've empowered us to take what he's told us and, and enact it. But I, I want to talk a little bit about prophecy itself tonight and build something in, into that. And I think there's some things that you can take from it because I really feel like that's, a, that's something a lot of us, I feel like this region has, a, has had great demonstration uh, of prophecy, maybe even great activation in terms of it, but I don't, I don't feel like the region has walked in it the way that uh, there's maybe been some great voices. Kim Clement is from this region and left an incredible deposit, not just here, but in the nations and in our nation in particularly. I've been impacted by that. Uh, my hair hasn't been impacted by it, but I wish it was. Uh, you know, and then there's great voices that, that have been here, and I know uh, Julian Adams was here in this church for a couple of years, and, and that, uh, that sort of um, being able to, to see and to be inspired by that is, is so important, but unless we fan into flame the gift of God that's with us, in us, we can't really keep the fire burning. And so it's not, only, it's not just enough to, uh, see, to be inspired by a gift demonstrated. We have to actually uh, be empowered to walk in it ourselves. And I believe that God wants all of us to hear his voice and speak his voice. He wants all of us to prophesy. So I'm going to talk about that tonight. And, and I really want to encourage you, if you want to grow in the gift of prophecy in your life, that the resources I, have, resources I have are very, very practical. I'm not primarily a, a demonstrator. I'm an equipper. Uh, I, I've trained literally thousands and thousands of people. Some guys and young ladies that stand in the office level gift now have gone through just our, our training and our relationships with the different churches that we're involved in. So I believe it's so important because God's not just raising up new voices in the church, but he's actually raising up now voices in the culture, in government, in, in education. I, I work with people that are staffers for senators in our nation, people that are high-level entrepreneurs, people that are gifted uh, in science and technology, uh, people that are way, way smarter than me, have PhDs in neuroscience, that are hearing God's voice and teaching others uh, to hear God's voice. I believe it's so important. I'm so passionate about it. I, I like to say, if you cut me open, I bleed prophecy. That's what happens. I just believe prophecy because it's just, it's what I believe when God says that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. He really means that, that there's something uh, 
powerful about it that impacts us. And so I'm hoping tonight will be a deposit. And if there's something that happens tonight or that this topic sparks something in you, um, I have all these, these schools of prophecy, not just how to hear God's voice, but how to help others hear God's voice, how to take away hindrances to hearing God in your life, how to know if it's God or if it's just you, those kinds of things. And then maybe some of you that have more mystical experiences, maybe you've had experiences where you've seen things or heard things, you have dreams and you don't know what to do with that. I have a whole school that talks about that, how to, how to make that the norm in your life. It's actually not strange. I married my wife and she was always a dreamer. I just thought, you know, she had overactive imagination. I really didn't understand it, that it was from God, to be honest with you. And um, I met a guy, I had a dream back in 2001. I was sitting with a guy named John Paul Jackson. If you've ever heard of him, he's got a big ministry and passed away since, but really is a father of dream interpretation in the modern, modern church. And, um, and a month later, I get a call from a friend that, that said, hey, John Paul Jackson's going to be in my church. You want to you wanna meet him? And I said, Sure, I just had a dream about him a month ago. I don't really know if it means anything, but so I went to this meeting and uh, we ended up going out to lunch. The pastor said, you want to go out to lunch with us? And we ended up sitting at the table in exactly the place I was in the dream. And um, I won't tell you the whole story of the dream. It was pretty impactful to him. It didn't make any sense to me, to be honest with you. He, in fact, I realized the interpretation of it later and realized the guy never told me the interpretation of it. And it was actually very significant to me, but he didn't tell me that it was because it had to do with him and I together. So he held that from me, which tells me sometimes mature prophetic people say less than they know. The more mature you are, the, the less you have to talk. And, and, and many times God shows you things he doesn't want you to say. That's actually part of maturity is learning how not to say everything you see. And, and so and that's that's. What, that's what happens when you grow in it. So actually, after having lunch with John Paul, I ended up dreaming like, I, now I dream like two or three times a night, and I never did. And I kind of regret having lunch with him, to be honest with you, because I wasn't really looking for the gift of insomnia. <laughs> so, but, you know, what happens when you get around people that have a similar assignment to you, you start to rub off on each other. It's super good. And I believe impartation can happen through instruction, through relationship. And then I have a lot, I have these teachings that talk about what to do with your prophecies and how many know the, the greatest lessons in your life come out of relationship. Everything God does is relational. And so the things that we learn with them have to come through relationship and experience. And so this talks about, let there be light, talks about how God takes his promises in your life, not just to tell you what to do to, to make you into someone, to something. That's why it's, it takes so long sometimes, not because it's hard for God to do the miracle, but because it's hard for you to be become the miracle and so that's why you're sort of like God hurry up and he's like well just become what I need you to be you know father Abraham was supposed to be a father of many nations it took him 40 years just to be the father of one kid and it's because he needed to learn how to be a father before he could be the father of many nations how about God's timing these I have a whole teaching that talks about God's timing how to accelerate your promises why you're behind why they seem delayed those kinds of things, and then a whole other um, message on how your prophecy actually um, 
is actually attached to other people's prophecies. So when your fulfillment comes, it affects other people. And those are all, if you really get excited about prophecy, I have 14 hours of teaching on prophecy on a one zip drive. You can pop it on your phone, listen to it uh, pieces at a time. It's all on there. So um, I want to do something. I want to just pray for a couple of people. I do have some words of knowledge tonight, and I want to demonstrate some. But actually, my plan is to get us into a moment of sort of uh, body ministry, if you will. And um, it, hopefully it makes you uncomfortable. I want to stretch you a little bit. But I think the time... Um, <coughs> of church being a spectator sport is over. It's time for us to, to realize that we're all part of the team. And I, I love the fact, I love to get inspired by other people. I love watching people, encouraging people, but I, I believe the body is only going to grow when we really truly become a body. We find the way we fit together and minister to one another. So that's my goal tonight, is to lead us into that place. To be honest with you, I was super excited to see all the kids here because I was really going to get excited about getting the kids involved tonight, but you'll, you can take some of these things we're going to do maybe and impart them to the kids because I really feel like one of the things that God wants to do is pour out a spirit on all flesh. That means children's flesh. And sometimes children's flesh is actually a little bit more supple, if you will, you know, more receivable to some of us scaly people who've been in the sun too long. <laughs> We've got alligator skin. God has to kind of poke through that thing. Sorry, I wasn't trying to offend anyone with that, but you know, if you have alligator skin, just use a little extra lotion. I've had to use a little extra lotion here, to be honest with you, too. So, all right, take your Bibles, turn with me to somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> Literally, seriously, I feel like I could open up anywhere and probably end up where we're supposed to be. But let's go to Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 1. Let's just start there, and we'll work our way to Revelation and eventually find something that God wants to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. <clears throat> okay, let's go to. I say Genesis one. Yeah, let's start with verse number one then, since that's what I said. Yeah, we can do this. All right. Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light was good. He separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, the evening he called night, and there was morning and evening the first day. This is a story of creation, but it was really actually the story of prophecy. The Bible says that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy especially prophecy i like to say because it's the best <laughs> i have the best job in the world i just get to tell people what god thinks about them i actually think it's the best but the reason i think that paul said that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially prophecy is this prophecy is a gift right everybody say prophecy is a gift See, see, prophecy is a gift that's given to the children of God. The Bible says that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And if you're a child of God, in fact, Paul, uh, Paul said on the day, or Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that in the last days that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. When we came into the kingdom of God, we became sons and daughters of God. And so you have the ability and right to prophesy. People say to me, in fact, I was asked very recently, well, you know, do you think everybody has the gift of prophecy? Do you think, or, and I would say, I don't think everybody has the gift of prophecy, but I do think everybody can prophesy. 
See, there's a difference because there's an inheritance or a, a, a general gift, if you will. The Holy Spirit was given to you, and so the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus, and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So some, everybody can prophesy, but some people will have a gift of prophecy. Say, prophecy is a gift. And so the, the reason you know that you have a gift is because when you have a gift, you use the gift. You open the gift. You exercise the gift. And so with, a, with a, a gift is actually deposited a desire for that thing. So whenever my kids ask for a gift, it actually makes me think about getting that gift for them. I might not know that they want a vinyl of the Jonas Brothers reunion or whatever it is, right? Now, they might ask for that, but I'm not going to buy it for them because well, if they want to buy that junk, they can buy it themselves. But what I'm saying is, I wouldn't actually know that they're interested in the Jonas Brothers if they don't tell me that. So God, he actually makes these gifts available, but when you ask for something, what did Jesus say? If you ask God for bread, he will not give you a stone. If you ask him for meat, he will not give you a snake. How much more if you ask him for the Holy Spirit Will he give you the Holy Spirit? What is he saying? That, that there's, when you, a gift is given when it's asked for. So actually what God will do is he will create a desire for something that he wants to give you. And when the desire is created, many times desire is created out of deficit. That's a good word right there. Desire is created out of deficit. So Moses was created to be a deliverer. But when did he get the desire to be a deliverer? When he saw an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew slave. He said, oh, I got to be a deliverer. And so he acted out of that desire. He killed him, which was the wrong response because sometimes when we have a desire, we don't always respond correctly. So sometimes people that want the gift of prophecy, they don't always know how to react or respond in it. Sometimes they say things. Sometimes they, in fact, do you know that prophecy is a very creative gift? And so sometimes people that are wired for it, they have a very wild imagination. I can remember as a kid, one of my earliest memories of being corrected as a kid, I was around four or five years old, was for lying. I was really good. My dad would say, are you telling stories again? And for me, I wasn't lying. I was just being creative. <laughs> you could try to cast it out of me, but I didn't need it to cast it out. I just needed it to mature. Because think about it. This will stretch you a little bit. But prophecy is calling things that are not as though they were. Lying is calling things that are not as though they were. When God speaks to you, it doesn't feel like it's the truth sometimes. But you've got to convince yourself it's the truth. It's called faith. Now, I'm not saying that you should lie and believe it's the truth. What I'm saying is you've been given the capacity to believe things that in the natural don't appear to be true. You can look at people who look like they have a problem and call it their potential. Prophecy is a gift. Say, prophecy is a gift. Also, prophecy is a grace. Say, prophecy is a grace. Yeah. 
What, by that, I mean it's a divine enablement, empowerment of God, that it's not something that you can do yourself. In fact, in the Old Testament, God would choose people that seem to be the least likely to do it. You have a guy like Jeremiah who gave all kinds of excuses that he couldn't hear God's voice. He was too young. He couldn't hear. He was scared. All these things. And so prophecy is a grace. It goes beyond your own natural abilities. Sometimes what happens is, is that an, until you activate it, you don't have the grace to do it. Jesus said it this way, when you open your mouth, I will fill it. So what does it take to open your mouth? Faith. What does it take for God to fill it? Grace. So whatever faith activates, grace empowers. And many times we're waiting for God to sort of drop something on us. Like, okay, God, tell me something and I'll say it. When he's saying, say something and I'll tell you. Right? And, and so grace cannot em- enable you until faith empowers you. Why did Jesus say, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover? Because it takes faith to lay hands on the sick. And the empowerment, grace, is what enables God to act through, the, through your hand. And so this is a fact in life. By grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. So, so faith is what causes you to believe and then speak it. And when you confess it, you're empowered to become it. For those who confess him, those who believe on his name, he empowers them. He gives them the grace to become the sons of God. So, so prophecy, yes, is a gift, but is activated by grace. And, and faith, when faith activates, grace, grace um, enables. And so prophecy is a grace. And we see in the old covenant that that grace was only present on certain individuals. So I believe that there's three reasons that Paul says eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. It's a gift. It's a grace. But number three, and I think most importantly, is it's, it's an expression of who God is. Say, prophecy is who God is. It's who God is. When God wanted to physically manifest himself in the earth, when he wanted to show us him that he could see with his natural eyes, how did he manifest himself through his son, Jesus, right? And Jesus is called what? The Word that's become flesh. He could have called him anything, but he called him the Word that's become flesh. Now, it says in Colossians that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So Jesus came to show us what God looks like. And when God came to show us what he looks like, he gave himself a name, the Word that's become flesh. He didn't say God become flesh. He said the word has become flesh. And we know he's also God incarnate, God Emmanuel, God incarnate. He's with us. Jesus is the word. And then when Jesus left his disciples in John 14 through 17, it's a great conversation. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen my father. If you've heard my words, you've heard my father's words. If you've seen my deeds, You've seen my father's deeds. So what was he saying? Look, I came to show you what an invisible God looks like. I came to put skin on God. I came to to let you hear what a verbal God sounds like. I came to give God words like that you could hear with your ears. And I came to show you what God would do. And so Jesus 
came to put skin on God, came to give a voice to God, came to give hands to God, if you will. And then he says, and because I go to be with the Father, the works that I do, and even greater works than these, will you do because I go to be with the Father. That word works there is used, I think, 30 times in the gospel. It's actually, the, it's actually used for miracles 30 times in the gospels, or I could be wrong. It could, it could be a little bit more, but many times that word works is used for miracles. So we know that he is saying these works and greater than these will you do. And he's talking about miracles. But yet in the context, what he's actually saying is that when you see me, you see my father. When you hear my words, you hear my father's words. When you see my deeds, you see my father's deeds. And what I do, you will do and greater than this, which means what you will do is show people what Jesus looks like. What you will do is show people what Jesus sounds like. What you will do is show people what Jesus does with his hands. And so you could literally say it means if you hear me, you hear Jesus. So prophecy is able to actually express to people what an invisible God would look like to them, what an invisible God would sound like to them, what an invisible God would do in that situation. And so prophecy is a manifestation of who God is. And the way we see that is right here from the beginning. So it says <clears throat> that in the beginning that God said, everybody say God said. So God, the first thing he did to actually manifest himself into the unseen realm, what he did was he actually used his voice to do it. And it says that the earth was formless, empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So there, was, there were three conditions within the earth. The conditions of the earth were that they were formless. That means chaos. There was no order. They were empty. That means there was no substance or resource in them. And they were dark. That means there was no light or vision or strategy, if you will. So if you think about those three conditions, you can apply that to any part of people's lives. So if a person is stuck in their, um, their professional uh, growth, you could say, well, maybe it's because they need the resources for more education. There's emptiness. Or maybe you could say, oh, it's a lack of order. Maybe they're actually in the wrong position. Maybe they actually need to be in a different kind of job where they'll be more fruitful. Or you could say, perhaps maybe they're in the right job and have the right training, but they need better vision. They need strategy and some instruction to move forward. So these three conditions are actually a condition for optimal fruitfulness in the earth. And, and it's optimal fruitfulness in anything. You could apply it to a church. You can apply it to a marriage. You can apply it to uh, whatever you want, finances. But that when God saw the earth that was formless and empty and dark, he had to do something to confront that. And what was his solution? And God said. And God said. You see, God's solution to the lack of order in the earth is to put his voice inside of you and for you to bring the solution through his words to the chaos, darkness, and emptiness around you. Let me give this a real practical insight, and I've been here a lot of times, so forgive me if you've heard this story before, but it's actually where I first understood this principle that there's actually, and, and it was actually this message, this idea came to me literally like in a, in a, in a pastor's office before I was going to preach one night years and years ago, and I'm like, I looked at this, I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is what I'm going to preach tonight. And then right before I preached it, there was a, 
a guy that would give, was giving a testimony that night in the service. He was a, a soccer player, football player for the City League team in Torino, Italy. They're called uh, Juventus Italians. It's funny, there's a guy, there's an Italian restaurant in my neighborhood, and my wife and I went out to, to lunch a couple weeks ago, and there was a Maserati parked right next to us. And so as we got into the, get into the car, my wife's looking at this Maserati like it's really nice. And she's looking around it. This guy comes running out of the restaurant, like ready to like tackle somebody. He's like, what happened? Did you hit my car? And I'm like, no, no, no. My wife was just admiring your car. And uh, he had a, he was actually the owner of the restaurant. He had a Juventus shirt on. And that's when I was like, thank you, Jesus. The only soccer team I know in the entire world other than Brazil, sorry, <laughs> I know rugby, I don't know soccer, is Juventus. I said, that's a Juventus shirt. My, I have a friend that played for Juventus, and the guy thought I was the greatest thing in the world. He's like, perfect, come back to my restaurant. You know, it's so cool. Anyway, side story. This guy was a football player, and he gave up, came up to give this testimony about how he has this passion to help young people live morally pure, to be virgins until they get married. And that his testimony as a soccer player is, I'm a virgin, and I'm going to stay a virgin until I get married. And he, he said, it's really hard to be a Christian in the professional athletic world, but I'm living my testimony. It was a really good testimony. It encouraged people, and I thought it was very good. And as he's sitting there, I felt like the Lord speak to me for him. <clears throat> I'll tell you the short version of the story, even though the, the longer version is funnier. <laughs> but it came up. Okay, I'll tell you the short, long version. Anyway, I got up to speak, and I said, hey, sir, I want to give you a word God has for you. And I happened to notice a young lady sitting next to him. So I said, and young lady next to him, come on up, too. I don't know why I did, but I had her come up. And maybe because I think I was nervous. He is a professional, you know, soccer player. Maybe I was nervous. So I said, I'm going to talk to her first. And so he was just standing there looking at me like, why am I here then? And so I, I looked at her and I said, hey, I see you uh, with cameras in front of your face taking your picture. And I see you being put on magazine covers. You're going to be a fashion model for God. And you're going to be an example for God in the fashion industry and how to live for God. And don't think you can't do it because God's going to give you the power to do it. And she's really crying. So I thought it was a good word. And he was still looking very serious. He was, I don't know why, but I, I don't know why I said this next, and you have been praying about your relationship with him, and God wants you to know, don't worry about it, he's going to work out your relationship, and she cried more, and then he got more serious, and I thought, oh, I better just change the subject here, and so I looked at him and said, sir, this testimony you gave, you're going to give on national television, because you're going to be actually picked to be on the national football team for Italy. You're going to play on the national team, and when you do, you're going to be interviewed on national television, and you're going to give this same testimony on television. She cried more. He got more serious looking. So I just figured, let me quit while I'm behind and had them both sit down. It was a good night, normal night. We had a good meeting, prayed for people. On my way home, the pastor said to me, he said, hey, that soccer player wants to have lunch with you tomorrow. He has some questions about that prophetic word you gave him which made me get really scared, and I'm like, oh, no. And all I could think was that was his sister, that wasn't his girlfriend. Like, <laughs> seriously, like, I had literal thoughts like that. Could not sleep all night long. Like, I'm finished. I'm done. That was a bad word. He wants to quit soccer, and I told him he's going to be on the national team. I don't know. So, so we go to lunch the next day. This young lady meets us at the door of the restaurant. She speaks English. He doesn't. She said, I want to tell you, I just signed a contract with Armani Modeling last week. That really encouraged me. And I'm like, whew, thank you, Jesus, you know. 
And then she whispers on the way to the table, and I've been asking him to get me a ring, but he hasn't yet. And I'm like, I'm not touching that one at all. <laughs> Apparently, they were girlfriend, boyfriend, but not so serious at the time. So he, of course, doesn't want to know about marriage. He wants to know about football. <laughs> Typical guy. <laughs> He's, he asked me at lunch, he says, do you think that was really a word from God? And I said, of course I do. When I gave it, I really thought it was from God. <laughs> really don't know he said but he said I really I'm, I'm, I'm on the bench right now I'm not playing very well I'm a reserve player so for that to happen it has to be God so here's how the story worked out about six months later I get an email from the pastor and he says you know that soccer player you said was gonna be on the national team well when they picked the national team tryouts he wasn't chosen to try out he didn't make the team and then he ends the paragraph and then and then says but you'll love that but about uh in, in the first game of the season a, a defensive player gets hurt and the trainer has the ability to pick whoever he wants without trying them out for the team and he chose that guy from everybody in the nation he could pick one guy and he chose that guy isn't that awesome <clears throat> this is it was so funny because this is the this is the scripture i spoke from that night that when god speaks he puts you in the right order in your life when God speaks, he gives you an opportunity and resource that you didn't have before. When God speaks, he gives you vision for your life you didn't have before. So I believe in this because I believe the problem with most of the world isn't that they are lost in sin. I believe they're lost in darkness. And when they see the light, they can get out of darkness, right? Jesus died because they're sons and daughters of God who are lost in chaos, darkness, and emptiness. The gospel is right here. It's right here in Genesis 1 to 3. This is why I get geeked out about prophecy. I get passionate about prophecy because the gospel is right here that God sent his word to become flesh in people's life. And when they hear it and receive it, they get out of their chaos and out of their darkness and out of their emptiness. The solution to every lack of resource in South Africa is in God's word. The solution to every chaotic situation in your government is God's word. The solution to the lack of vision for people's lives and for direction of a nation is in God's word. We need people that can stand up and say, and God said, and God said, and when that happens, let me tell you, when that happens, it doesn't mean that there has to be a prophet that's your president, but there needs to be some people around him that he can hear God's word and speak God's word. That's why we need to teach young people that are going to go into these areas. We need someone in the media to stand up and say, and God said, and God said, if we do that, we won't have fake news. We'll have faith news. Hashtag faith news. Do you have fake news here? Yeah, everything's fake in the U.S. We know that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting passionate because here's where I want to bring it to for you. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. In the original language, it actually says light be. There's no let there be light. It's actually, it's actually just a declaration. Light be. The implication is this. There was no light in the earth. But when God came close to chaos, darkness, and emptiness, he just said, light, be. Where did the light come from? It came from he is light. There's no darkness in him. God is the light of the world. So he was literally saying this, substance in me, light in me, be in the chaos. Substance in me, light in me, be in the darkness. 
But I mean, Colossians says that everything that was created, both visible and invisible, was in him, was created through him, is held together by him. The worlds are held together by his word. The word is everything. I believe, you know, they have the, there's um, a substance you can't see, you know, the black, dark matter. That's not just like a Marvel uh, comics thing. I mean, there's literally like a substance that holds things together. I believe it's the word of God. I believe it's the substance of who he is. I mean, you are here because the substance of God is in the earth. Everything he created is created by him. And it's, I love that passage. Everything created both visible and invisible. That means when God speaks, there's stuff we see, but there's stuff he does that we're not seeing yet. You know? he, when he said, let there be light, he never said, stop. Just let there be that measure of light. He said, let there be light. And you can actually, the, large, the, the strongest telescopes they have now can see to the ends of the universe, and they see that actually the universe is not finite. The universe is ever-expanding. Light is actually pushing outward into the darkness of the universe, and it's still creating. It's as if God said, let there be light, 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 light. It's the same way it is when God speaks in your life. When God speaks that word to William, it's a, it's a creative word. It keeps creating, it keeps creating, it keeps creating until God's word does not return empty, but it accomplishes everything it was sent forth to accomplish. When God gives you a promise over your life, it doesn't stop creating. It doesn't stop shifting who you are and changing who you are. He doesn't give up. He keeps going. And so he has spoken something that is shifting you into the correct order, releasing the right resources to you, and giving you a strategy and vision you never had before. And example after example after example after example that I could give you, but I want to bring you to this place. And I've quoted a lot from Colossians uh, tonight, by the way. You really should read Colossians 1 through 3 if you want to connect it with Genesis uh, 1, 1 through 3. There's some beautiful correlations in creation. But there's a passage in Colossians that says this. You guys will know this. Christ in you is the hope of... Christ in you is the hope of glory. So it's telling you there's something in you. What's in you? Christ. So, so whenever you came to Christ, you actually were in him before the foundation of the world. But when he came into you, you became a whole being. So he saw you in, in Christ since before the foundation of the world. But when you received him, he came into you. And so now you are in him and he is in you. Ask whatever you will, it will be done for you. There's a powerful uh, principle there. But what I want to do is bring you to another place. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That word glory means the substance of something. The, the reputation or the substance of something. So I believe it's literally saying Christ in you is the expectation that God in you is going to come out of you. There's a substance of God in you that whenever you release it. So whenever you worship God, you're not just worshiping him for who he is but actually you're recognizing who he is and when it comes out of your mouth like you are good good what are you doing you're actually releasing his goodness into the atmosphere and it actually 
you feel the goodness of God when you sing that, don't you? Because it reminds you like, oh, yeah, that time when I had a really bad day and he did that good thing for me or that time that I wasn't a really good person, he did that good thing. What does it do? It reminds you. So it actually creates whatever you talk about about God becomes available to you. That's why whenever we give testimonies, it actually creates that atmosphere that's available to you. That's why the Israelites were told, tell the testimonies of God, the goodness of God, what he did, because we want your kids to access that part of God. So when you have, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, I like to say Christ in you, the hope is the hope of glory, but Christ out of you is the manifestation of glory, which means that Jesus is in you and he's hoping to get out of you. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to stay inside of you. He wants, you to, he wants to release his glory into the earth. He wants the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's going to happen whenever you talk about him, whenever you pray for people, whenever you prophesy, whenever you release the goodness of God, it, people get to know the goodness of God. And so it says this in Colossians, that there's a mystery that's been hidden since before the foundation of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the verse right before Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, I believe it was God's plan all along to find a container for his presence, for his goodness, for his glory, for his light, for his resources, for his vision, for his strategy, for his order. And he's looking for a container so that he can spread the glory of God throughout the earth. See, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And until you can release what's inside of you, some people will never see the glory of God. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard my words, you've heard the Father's words. If you've seen my works, you've seen what the Father would do. You see, God has made you a container for who he is. Prophecy is not only a gift. And it's not just a grace. It's a manifestation of who God is. And that glory is inside of you. And God wants to use you in, in whatever way it is. Very simple way of just encouraging people and looking at them and telling them what God says. We see Jesus do it in multiple ways. He looks at Nathaniel and says, here's an Israelite in whom there's nothing false. He looks at a prostitute and said, those without sin cast the first stone. He looks at a woman at the well with five husbands and who's living with a man that's not her husband and says, you know what I've really been seeking? You've been seeking relationship, but I've been seeking worshipers. And God's looking for worshipers and those who worship him in spirit and truth. And he found a worshiper. And when he told her who she was, she became the word of God. She went out and told everyone about him. I want to tell you that's what we, are, we were created to do. That's what we are created to be. And I believe tonight perhaps there's an area of your life that feel like there may be a lack of resource for what God's called you to do or a lack of order for what God has revealed to you or maybe a lack of vision of how to get it done. I believe tonight the word of God is here tonight. The word of God. Honey, can you come up? and just going to just create an atmosphere tonight for God to speak to us and, and perhaps through us. And I just want you to just enter into this atmosphere. <clears throat> this atmosphere that was the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep. You know, the earth was filled with chaos. That's the opposite of God. Darkness, it's the opposite of God. Emptiness, it's the opposite of God. And the Bible says the Spirit of God was 
hovering. That what that tells me is <clears throat> God is not repelled by my chaos. He's not disgusted by my darkness. He's not grossed out by my lack and my deficit. What well, he's actually attracted to it. The areas of your life that you feel like you're, le you're le the least like God, that's the areas of your life that God is most attracted to. That doesn't sound like maybe what we grew up in church because religion will tell us you got to get things straight before God will come to you. Like he's, if you sin, God will turn away from you. I always thought that my sin would make God turn away. I always thought my sin was sort of like, you know, when I did something wrong. You know, as parents, we have to discipline our children. Sometimes we punish them. Sometimes it's punitive. Sometimes it's to prepare them for the future. I, I get it. But I always just imagine, like, God, man, if I did something wrong, he'd send me to room, my room without any dinner, make me stay there with the door closed until I got it right. And then maybe he'd come and talk to me after I learned my lesson. But that's not the way God is. Because let's face it, most of us as earthly parents really don't, don't do that. We really want our kids to learn. In fact, when Adam sinned, God didn't throw him in his room and shut the door and not feed him. He actually said, Adam, where are you? Come out from behind those fig leaves. You don't have to be hiding. And he had to kill an animal to cover him. See, when, even when you sin, can't keep you from hearing, hearing God's voice. Adam heard the sound of the Lord right after he sinned. So I believe tonight God wants you to know the areas of your life that feel like they're in chaos. He's hovering over them. Stand with me to your feet.